the printer. Philippians 1, we're going to be reading tonight, verse 7 through 11, as we continue our study in Philippians. And uh, we're looking at Paul, and specifically tonight we see his heart and his prayer request for the people there at Philippi. And last week we ended looking at verse 6, where he talked about God has begun a good work in them, and because he's begun it, he's going to finish it. And that was a very encouraging thought as we finished. And we talked about how we should apply that thought to our own heart and our own life, that God has started his work in us and he's not done working on us. And we also talked about applying it to others and looking at others through that mindset that if they're a child of God, God has begun a good work in them and he's going to continue working in them and how that gives us a spirit of grace, a spirit of hopefulness for others, that God's work will go forward in other people's lives. And uh, that was a, a wonderful way to conclude. Tonight we're going to begin in verse 7, and we'll read down through verse 11. And in these verses we see, in verse 7 and 8, we see his heart, and he talks a lot about the love that he has for them. And then in verse 9 through 11, we're seeing more uh, specifically of his prayer and his prayer requests that he has for them. And we kind of looked at his thanksgiving earlier in some of the prior verses, and tonight we see how he prays for them to grow in their love. So let's stand together, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. We'll begin in verse 7 and read down through verse 11. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 7. And the Bible says, Even as it is fitting for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. For God is my witness of how greatly I long after you all in the heart of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of of God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, I thank you for this chance to open your word. I thank you for Paul's heart for Philippi and those believers there. And I ask that tonight we would see his love and that we would see his prayer requests and the way he prayed for them. And may we examine our own heart uh, and learn to grow in our own love one for another and to grow in our own prayer life. I'm thankful for his example. And Lord, I thank you that you allow us to live um, very much in, in the same manner by the power of your Holy Spirit that we too can have this, this sort of love and this sort of prayers in our life one for another. Would you do a work in us tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I was doing a little thinking as we looked at the first couple verses here about the heart that Paul had for these people. And I was thinking about love in general and sometimes we think of uh, the Apostle John as the Apostle of Love, and he's called that in John 3.16 and 1 John chapter 4. There's some lengthy sections there on the love of God. And, um, but Paul himself is also one who talked a lot about love, and he's the one that wrote 1 Corinthians 13 and Romans 12. And so he was someone that truly had grown in love, and love was a powerful thing in his own heart and life. But I was thinking about how if love is something that is rationed out, is it really love at that point? Isn't part of the essence of love that it is freely given? 
You know, if someone is kind of coming alongside and their approach to love is that you have to earn my love, right? You have to earn it. You have to be good enough for me to love you. Um, At that point, is it really love anymore or has it turned into something different? And for these Philippians, basically the basis of the love that Paul had for them was simply this. You're God's child. You're God's child. And because you're God's child, I love you. You know, that sounds pretty similar to the way Jesus prayed right before either in the garden or near the garden when he he prayed to the Father in John 17 that those who receive him would have that love one for another and that others would see that love. Paul evidences this sort of love in these verses. So let's look at verse 7 and 8 together. Even as it is fitting for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. He says that it is good for him to think of them this way. Paul's thinking of them, he's caring about them, and You know, sometimes we think about someone or something kind of in a very much of like a to-do list sort of way. Sort of like, you know, oh, I got to do this and I got to say this and make this phone call. But when he says, I think of you, I think this of you all, he's not saying there that it's just a cold, calculated thought, but that word think has the idea of, of thoughts connected to one's heart. In other words, he's thinking about them because he loves them. And maybe we could call it concern that's evident by thoughts. Um, Maybe we'd even use the word meditation or continued focus. He's thinking about them in an ongoing way. And he says, you know what? It's, It's so fitting that I keep thinking of you because I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. Um, Paul is, remember, he's chained up to a Roman soldier in a private house there in Rome. And he tells these people, I have you in my heart. He had been chained up for years and imprisoned and now in this private home. But for years he had been in prison. For years he had been separated from them. But here he is after all this time and he says, I have you in my heart. That love that he had for them was strong. They had sent the gift. They had supported him and shown their love to him. And Paul now says back to them, I have you in my heart. I'm thinking about you. And, and he says, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense of the gospel you all are partakers of my grace. Trying to kind of unpack all this, Paul really pushes a lot into one, one little sentence here, but, but he says, even in my chains, I have you in my heart, and even in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, I have you in my heart. And even though they were separated by time, even though it had been years since he had seen them, he had them in his heart, and the love that he had for them was strong. And he says, you have come along and you have been gracious to me. You have found the grace of Christ. I have found the grace of Christ. And together we both have the grace of Christ. We're partakers of his grace. And so even though I'm bound in these chains, I have you in my heart. You know, it's one thing to be chained up to soldiers and about to meet Caesar and yet, and to be alone. And later in 2 Timothy, Paul would say, no man stood with me, right? And he felt very forsaken. But here in this moment of time, he says, you know what? I have you in my heart. I remember some times growing up where I went through difficult times. But I knew that someone was on my side. I knew that someone loved me. I knew that someone believed in me. And you know what a difference that makes? You know what a difference when, 
when you're going through a difficulty, but you know that there's someone that's praying for you, that's standing behind you, that's loving you. And Paul's looking at this and he says, you know what? It's so fitting for me to think of you because I have you in my heart. And I have you in my heart because you have loved me in my chains. And here in this defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of my grace. In other words, they had a unity. They had a connection. And it was indeed the grace of God. When you meet a Christian for the first time, I experienced this when we went to Nepal, um, meeting believers for the very first time. You know, sometimes there is a warmness and a oneness that you have, even though you have never, ever met them. And you know what that is? That is the fact that they are a child of God and you are a child of God. And Paul says here, you are partakers of my grace. The idea is, is that you have this grace and I have this grace and we are both partakers of it together. And when we meet other believers, it's important to treat other believers as children of God, isn't it? Just to recognize that's God's child. How should we treat God's child? With love, of course, with love and with warmth and with openness. And when he says the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, he might be saying very specifically a reference to his court case. The word defense is where we get apologetics from. And confirmation has the idea of a defense is a, a, a defensive term, and then confirmation is a little more of an offensive term. And it could be used in the court context or just as broader ministry that he's defending the gospel and he's propagating the gospel. And either way, he knows that they are on his side, that they are in his heart, and they love one another. Verse 8, For God is my witness of how greatly I long after you all in the heart of Jesus Christ. Now, earlier he said that they were in his heart, right? Back in verse 7. Here he says that he longs after them in the heart of Jesus Christ. That's a strange phrase, isn't it? I long after you in the heart of Jesus. Um, and the idea is not that Paul was loving them through Jesus, but I believe it's the idea that Jesus was loving them through Paul. And the love of Christ was in his heart. And it, Paul had such a closeness with the Lord that he could say, I love you with the same heart that Jesus does. And clearly he is demonstrating a strong and a deep and a meaningful love. You know, uh, we might use this word, tender-hearted. Remember in Ephesians 4.32 it says tender-hearted? That is the heart of tenderness that Jesus has for sinners and Jesus has for his children and Jesus had for Paul. That same tender-heartedness Paul had for these Philippian believers. Tender-heartedness is something that does not come natural to me. Sometimes there are people where it's a little bit more of a natural thing. It doesn't come natural to me, but it does come supernaturally to me. How does it come supernaturally to me? Through Jesus. When I receive Christ, I receive Him. And I have all of His goodness now to work in me, as we learned in verse 6, that He's begun a good work in me, and that's one of the things He's working out of me and into me is His love. You know, there's a lot of talk sometimes in relationships uh, today about your love language. What is your love language? You know, some people like words of affirmation. Good job. And other people like physical touch, which is like the pat on the back. And other people like a gift, which is like a, a, a cold water bottle. Here you go on a warm, hot day. And um, I'll see here, I'm starting to forget the other ones. Um, acts of service, gifts, uh, physical. Uh, there's two more. Clearly, I'm, I'm rough. Time. That's right. Time is one. What's the other one? All right, we've got to work on our love languages here. What is it? 
Acts of service. Okay, acts of service. I was kind of mixing two there, wasn't I? So these are what people call love languages. But I ask myself in this passage, what is Paul's love language? Because he's talking about how much he loves them. And the, the love languages that I find in the text is prayer is a big one. He's telling them how he prays for them. Uh, so prayer is a love language. And I believe Jesus in his word teaches us that as we love others, we pray for them. That is a sign of love. Also, I think of loyalty or support. And he, he brings out in the passage how these Philippians have loved him. And they have supported him and they have stood by him and he has them in his heart. And clearly, this is that loyalty and that support. And then also, I just thought of looking out for other people's best interests. Almost, you would say, loving your neighbor as yourself. Where Paul here, he's not writing these Philippians to see what he can get out of them, right? No, he's writing them to see what he can give them. And there's an attitude of looking out for the other's best interest. Spiritual love languages, if you will. Well, having said that, let's look at verse 9. Here he gets specific about his prayer and about how he wants them to grow. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. He prays for them that their love would abound more and more. And he does not pray that they would get some love, but rather that the love they have would abound. And as believers, there's a sense in which we have love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. But then we want that to grow. So, Maybe I could say it this way. Some Christians are content to simply go like this. Whoop. Oh, yep, there's some love in there. Sip it back up, move on. As long as they have some love, they're content. Right? Because they can say, well, I don't hate people. I have some love in there. But Paul says, no, no, I'm praying that your love will abound yet more and more. In other words, he's praying that their heart would grow and their love would grow. And it reminds me of what he said in verse 8 about the heart of Jesus Christ. Right? That's our standard, right? Not just having some love, but having a heart like Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm praying that your love will abound and it will grow, it will increase. And he says, in knowledge and in all judgment. We kind of usually separate love from knowledge and judgment, don't we? But here he kind of blends them together. He says, I want your love to grow in knowledge. How does my love grow in knowledge? Well, this word has the idea of fullness of knowledge and Perhaps we might call this awareness. Awareness. I know when you, you start out life at five and six and seven, you're, you're not always aware of how your actions affect others, right? And the older you get, the more aware we should be of what love looks like in real action. And he says, I want your love to grow in knowledge. I want you to be aware. And it has this idea of fullness of knowledge. And we might just call it awareness or a broader application of this love. And then he goes on and talks about judgment. And this really contradicts what we think of love, right? Because if you judge people, you don't love. And if you love, you don't judge, right? That's kind of what our society says. But he says, I want your love to grow in all judgment. I want it to increase in judgment. And um, we, we might look at this word. The King James translators put the word sense in the margin beside this word. Um, for, for judgment here. And, and the idea is insight or discerning or being able to, to distinguish properly. And sometimes what people call something love, it isn't actually love, right? And he says, I want your love to grow in this discernment. And um, I was thinking of, of how this might play out in application. 
And I remember going to the uh, AAA ball club here in Charlotte, the Charlotte Knights, a very nice stadium in, in downtown there. And I've gone several times with uh, either my wife or my kids. And so we go to the ballpark, and someone hits one of those foul balls that's going up, up, and it's coming towards us, right? It's coming towards us. And I'm sitting there, and the ball's coming in, and instead of, like, looking or raising my hand or kind of, you know, doing anything, I just stand there and say, you know what? I don't judge. I don't judge. I make no judgments, right? I just let that ball come on in. Would that be a loving thing to do? That'd be very unloving, right? I need to judge where it's coming, who's it going to hit, how can I stop that, right? And so it is with love that when we love others, we want to discern properly how to protect them and what is best for them. And Paul tells these Christians, I'm praying that your love will grow in judgment. God wants us to determine and to distinguish how we can best love others. And there's sometimes where silence is not love, right? But our world sometimes says, well, you don't judge, you don't judge. Well, loving and judgment actually go together, not in a condemnatory way of, you're an awful person, I'll never speak to you again, right? That's not love talking. But rather that attitude of distinguishing what is best and what is good and right. And I think of Paul in Corinthians where he says, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So we have kind of an example there that he gives. As he talks about the love that he wants them to have, I want you to hold your spot here and turn to chapter 4. Turn to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, verse 2, later in the passage, in the, the book, Paul's going to say this. Chapter 4, verse 2, I beseech Iodia and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, he's addressing a division and a disagreement that these two women, we believe they're women, have in the church. And earlier in the book of Philippians, Paul's gone out of his way to say, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. What he's doing is he's over here, he's saying, I'm praying that you will love each other, that you will have knowledge, that you will have good judgment. And then later he says, specifically, you two need to work out this disagreement. But he's laid the foundation and he's urged them. And not only that, he has prayed for them. He's prayed for them before he has talked to them about it. You know, can I just give a word of advice to you? If you have a problem with someone, and sometimes it's a problem that has to be addressed or a problem that, that you know, can't just be ignored, do you know one of the best things you can do first is pray about it before you go talk to them? You know, sometimes I know in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, if they can just see the truth of this, the truth, you know, sets people free, and, you know, um, I'm just going to tell them the truth. Well, Yes, sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't work. And Paul here says, I'm praying for you that you'll abound in love. And before we kind of jump in, we should pray and ask God to prepare the heart and to work in their heart and to do his work. One time this, this week I read this and it said, the, the most deeply influential thing you can ever do for someone is to pray for them. And I thought, you know what? There is so much wisdom because just because you say something doesn't mean someone will listen, does it? But as you pray, sometimes God will work with your words and what will be accomplished. So moving on to verse 10 here, we see he says that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. He is praying for them that they will have love in their hearts, that they will have love that's connected with knowledge and judgment. But he's also praying that they would approve things that are excellent. 
They would approve things that are excellent. Um, not just things that are okay, you know? Not just things that are uh, tolerable, but things that are excellent. He says, I want you to be living your life and grasping after that which is excellent. And then he goes on to say that you may be sincere and without offense. Again, that without offense is a little interesting with what he says later in chapter 4, verse 2, is it not? But he says, things that are excellent and that you may be sincere. The word sincere is a very interesting word in English. And I saw this in my study. I thought I would share it. The, word, the English word comes from Latin, when it, where it comes from two words. And the first word in Latin is sine, S-I-N-E. And then the second word is sera, which is C-E-R-A. So sine or sine, sine and sera. And you put it together and we have evolved the word sincere. But you know what it means? It means without. The S-I-N-E means without. And the sera means wax. And it's a reference to clay pots that would be made and people would sell them for people to put water or food in or use for various things. And dishonest sellers would take a cracked pot and they would take some wax and they would kind of fill in the crack and make it all smooth and then they would paint over it. And then they would sell it in the marketplace and unsuspecting buyers would come along and say, oh, well, this looks like a nice pot. And they would buy it and they would take it home and once they put it in the fire or once it warmed up or once it got bumped or something, that wax would come out or it would melt and out would flow all the water. And guess what? A pot with a hole in it is not worth having, is it? But they had spent all of this good money on this pot, right? And the idea was without wax. And it has this idea of pureness, of, of not putting on a show. And we understand a little bit of the idea of that word sincere, just how we use it. Free from hypocrisy. And we know examples in the Bible. Judas and, and Ananias and Sapphira and Demas and others, we could say, in the Bible, lived without sincerity. God wants us to be sincere. Sometimes we think we're so truthful and we're so honest that we don't need to pray for sincerity. But Paul prayed for these people to be sincere. And you know, sometimes as we work through life, we can become less and less sincere as we go. And we need to watch out for that. Lastly, he says, without offense. In this verse, he says, without offense. That you would be without offense until the day of Christ. Um, I don't think he's, he's referencing being perfect until the day of Christ. Rather, I think it's the idea of taking offense or giving offense, right? And it has to do with relationships again. He says, I don't want you uh, giving offense or taking offense. And we could take it in both senses. And some people pick one over the other. But, you know, in Mark 9, 24, Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it is better for him that a millstone were hung about his neck and he were cast into the sea. This is about offending or harming others, and that's giving offense. In taking offense, um, in Hebrews 12, it tells us this, Seek peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man lack the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and many be defiled by it. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. So if we take offense, we are going to be harmed. If we give offense, that's going to be harmful. And the Bible gives us a warning about both. How do we live a life where we don't take offense and we don't give offense? Well, may I suggest it kind of boils back to the love and the heart of Jesus Christ that we already looked at. You know, if I have the heart of Jesus, did Jesus go around getting offended all the time? 
No, not personally offended. Now, he was bothered by sin, and that's kind of another matter. But he wasn't going around personally getting offended. He also was not going around offending people. Again, he would be clear about sin, but he was not out to harm or to hurt or to put, be a roadblock in anyone's life. He was rather there to be a bridge to God. Look at verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Paul just prays that this church would just be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Righteousness is a fruit. It's not a work. And, you know, when you plant an apple tree and those apples come forth, there is work involved in that, but you cannot make a tree bring forth apples, can you? You can't make it happen. You can't just be like, all right, tomorrow, apples, right? There's a process and there's a fruit aspect to it that it is a product of the tree. And what did Jesus tell us in John 15? That we are the branches and he's the vine and we bring forth fruit through him. And so he says, I want you to be filled with this fruit, fruits of righteousness. And again, this is coming out of the heart of Jesus and the love that he has and his love in us. And Paul's praying for them. He says, I want to see fruit in your life. I want to see fruit. Hebrews 12 also says, uh, uses this phrase, fruit, fruit of righteousness. Now no chastening seems to be joyous for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are exercised by it. Hebrews 12, 11. That's very much in the same context, same passage that I read about bitterness. Having a heart that's lacking in love and where bitterness has control, it will squelch the fruit of righteousness. But when we have the heart of Christ and we are walking with him and his heart's impacting us and we're one with the Lord, the fruit of righteousness is just going to grow. We don't have to make it happen, right? Now, yes, we have to work at our walk with the Lord, but his goodness and his righteousness will flow through us. Self-righteousness is the exact opposite of what's being talked about here. This is the fruit of righteousness. And it doesn't come from self, it comes from the Lord. We can hear how Paul prayed for these people, can't we? And I don't know about you, but I would be really happy if someone prayed that prayer for me and God just answered it. I would be truly thrilled. And I think that that would be a wonderful prayer for you to pray for me as your pastor. I also think that the same is true of you, that you would be thankful if someone prayed that prayer for you and that I ought to pray it for you. So maybe we all should seek to pray some of these things one for another. Let's bow our heads in prayer and we'll take any questions or comments. Oh Lord, we thank you for this passage. Philippians 1, for the heart of Paul. We praise you for the way he prayed for these saints. And Lord, there's a sense in which we look at Paul and we just think, wow, he was so wonderful and so good and so perfect. I ask, Lord, that we won't compare ourselves to him, but rather we will simply learn from him tonight. I pray that in our church here that we would have the fruit of righteousness, that we would have that heart of Jesus that we would grow in our love. May we not be content to simply have some love, but I pray that our heart would increase, that we would increase it in knowledge and in judgment, and that we would approve excellent things, that we walk as you would want us to walk, full of love. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, any questions or comments here tonight? Uh, anything about the text of the past?